The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. We're glad you found us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, offering support for your spiritual growth and addiction recovery. Here's Reverend Dan Beckett. Welcome to the Spirit of Recovery on Unity Online Radio. We are glad you're with us today. I'm Reverend Dan Beckett here with co-host Reverend Michelle Vargas. Together, we share ways that spirituality and addiction recovery intertwine and work together to support your spiritual growth in your recovery journey. Facebook users, you can send us your questions and comments anytime during the week from our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery. Just click the send message button right below the banner. Be assured that your anonymity will always be respected, so please let us know what's on your mind. We'd really love to hear from you. Today's show is titled Snares Along the Path. The lure of prestige has been the downfall of many on the recovery journey. We can get to feeling so good about ourselves that we fall into that old trap of wanting to be seen as the, quote, number one man or woman in the eyes of others. How can we remain true to our purpose and avoid the trap of pride? Can we practice humility without feeling humiliated? Today, we want to share our experience, strength, and hope on staying in integrity on the recovery journey and avoiding the desire to look good doing it. We want to share with you what we were like before what happened, and what we are like now, along with the spiritual tool or principle that helped guide us through the tough times. We hope you'll find something in our experience that will be helpful to you in your own recovery. So today we're going to be talking about moving from vanity to integrity through the path of humility. And when I think about, think back, well, what did uh, lack of humility, we're calling that vanity for a short term. I think it fits pretty well. What did vanity or lack of humility look like for me? Well, for me, it was not the, you know, this is like a coin with two sides, right? There's the side where I go around thinking how great I am, right? And then there's the side when I go around worried (laughs) that that the exact opposite is actually true. Mm -hmm. And they're both just as self-centered. I mean, it's, it's two very variants of the same thing, or as I've heard you say that I now like to repeat, maybe I think I'm the piece of crap that the world revolves around. You know, that's the other side of the coin. So (laughs) I was somewhere in the middle. I don't, I don't know that I was going around thinking I was the piece of crap that the world revolved around, but I was definitely something that the world revolved around and, (laughs) and did not know it. 
and and so the way the way I the perspective I have on it now, I can look back and see that I, I can definitely say I was overly concerned with myself, what's going on with me, what do I need, what do I, you know, what's happening, am I getting what I want, etc. Just out straight up out of fear, you know, that I didn't recognize because once again, you know, we don't get to live three lives and then compare them and take the best out of each, right? We just have sort of one path through all this. And so I didn't know that that's kind of where I was sitting. Looking back, I only see that I was preoccupied uh, with myself and whether or not I was okay, just straight up out of fear of not being okay, whatever that means. Yeah, that's a pretty broad term, but, you know, just pursuit of feeling okay in the world is a major driver for me. Yes, um, I, of course, experienced something very similar. It's not, you know, when I talk about that being self-centered or self-focused, it's not because I think I'm so great. It's, in fact, quite the opposite. It's, um, it's like what, like you said, the, you know, I'm the piece of garbage that the world is revolving around. So it's like a a problem of low self-esteem coupled with self-centeredness but the self-centeredness in my opinion is a trauma response as so many of the things you know that we experience so many of us that come into recovery have these uh, traumas in our early lives in our childhoods of various types that um, sort of get this this self-centeredness kind of cemented it's like you said it's a fear it's a fear that somehow I'm not going to be okay And I believe that that's a trauma response. You know, if you grow up feeling pretty much okay all the time, you don't have that obsessive need to be always concerned with your own self or concerned, you know, with your own safety or your own okayness. But um, many of us didn't grow up with that kind of stability. And uh, the response is this over-focus on self all the time because it's really trying to make sure I'm okay, trying to make sure that in a way, it's like the opposite of vanity because, you know, I'll have a response where, you know, maybe I gave a sermon that day or something and I come home and I got this thing knocking around in my head. Did they like me? Am I good enough? Did I say the right things? You know, oh, I should have said this. I should have said that. Um, that kind of self-obsession. It's certainly not because I think I'm so wonderful. It's because I'm afraid that I'm not wonderful and I'm trying to sort out what I might have done wrong so I can fix it so I can be okay so everyone will love me (laughs) you know and that that wanting everyone to love me I believe that's a trauma response you know because if you grew up feeling very secure and loved you don't have that need the people that I know that grew up that way don't have that obsessive need to be okay all the time so it's it's a tough thing to um to work with that, that fear, you know, because we, we're not conscious of what it is we're afraid of. We just know that we don't feel okay a lot of the time. Yes, and, and I'm reminded that in, in that way, given that that's where I was, addiction recovery is a huge gift because it's a path out of that. Yeah, and with, with honestly, without addiction that got as bad for me as it did, and led to addiction recovery. Without that, I don't think I ever would be finding my way out of that. Right. I, I can't see how that would be possible, at least not for me. And so I'm grateful for um, 
my addiction recovery. And in a way, I guess I'm saying I'm grateful for my addiction because that's what led me to this um, opportunity to find a completely different way in a way, you know, far, far better way of being in the world. Yes. When I look, when I like your way of saying piece of garbage, I think I said, crap, your way is much more elegant. (laughs) I'm going to remember that now. And and I'll, I'll, I'll say it the better way. But um, another thing that comes to mind when I think about what did uh, vanity or lack of humility look like for me, just my brain comparing, comparing, comparing. And I've heard it said that comparison is the thief of joy. And I totally understand that. But man, if for whatever reason, I didn't uh, grow up just constantly comparing like, you know, who was older than who? Who knew more than who? You know, what what is the pecking order here? Mm -hmm. How does all this work? You know, and just watching and noticing how things worked because uh, somewhere along the line, I decided that if I could understand how things work, then I can find a way to be okay in the world and, and find, you know, the whole, the whole journey of figuring out how do things work is a journey of comparison. Well, if I do this, then that, so that didn't work. Let me try this. Oh, that did work. You know, and our minds are wired this way, I'm convinced, um, at our very core, that our brains are simply, um, you know, uh, comparison tools. We we make meaning out of the differences that we perceive between things. So comparing um, is a necessary tool, but like a lot of necessary tools, it can turn into a real trap. And I know that it did for me. Because if if I'm if my mind is occupied with comparing, inevitably I'm on one side of the comparison always, and so I mean that's just another way of saying that I was um, overly concerned with myself because I was constantly comparing because I was trying to find a way to feel safe in the world. It's really that simple. Yeah, it's interesting as you're talking that the way, like you said, children want to feel safe. And so you, the way that you learned to feel safe was to try to understand things, right? Figure them out yes. so that you could be okay. And that's your Enneagram number, right? Which is that's the, right. which one is it? Five. The five. Um, you're much more versed in it than I am. But my way of learning to feel safe was to make sure that everybody liked me and that I was approved of, which is my Enneagram number, which is the three. So it's just really interesting. We both had the same goal, this goal of feeling safe and feeling being okay in the world, but we had different ways that we went about getting it. And that um, sort of cemented that aspect of our personality. So yeah, we love to talk about the Enneagram. Dan knows much more about it than I do, but it's been very helpful for me in just seeing these personality traits and why I am the way I am. So the Enneagram three is sort of the performer that wants, um, it's basically for me, what it really feels like is it's always being focused on external validation. So is I it need like accomplishment? To... If I could just accomplish this and this and this, then I'd be okay. Is that kind that's of That's definitely a big piece of it. Accomplishment, or maybe that's like one way that it can pan out. And it certainly did for me. It was like, because basically, well, basically it seems to me that what it boils down to is external validation. So people might have different ways of getting that somebody might become a singer or an actor. Um, My thing was to become, you know, really good in school, get a lot of accolades, you know, rack up 
the awards and degrees and things like that. And that was that external validation that I needed to feel okay. So it's basically about not feeling okay inside and needing to be told constantly that I'm okay from the outside. It's it's not pretty. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> I would say probably a lot of the, um, you know, performers and actors and things like that, that we know probably have that or, you know, definitely a piece of that. Um, but the great thing about the Enneagram is as you learn that this is sort of your, you know, your general orientation to the world, you can start to work with it, you know, and start to realize that, okay, that's my, that's my shtick. I'm obsessed with external validation. So now how can I begin to right. dismantle that, you know, right. and it just, it helps explain things so that I don't have to feel bad that that's how I am. I just have to understand that that somehow got set. I don't even have to know how, but, um, you know, so that I can begin to, to pull it apart and, um, and also just kind of be like, you know, I'm probably always going to want that external validation. That's okay. But I need to work on that. I need to do the really deep work of why do I not feel okay? And how can I begin to make myself feel okay from the inside? The more okay that I can make myself feel from the inside, the less I'm going to need that external validation. And it begins to mitigate those really strong personality aspects. Yeah, I call it uh, you know, that, that element that for me says that if I can just understand how all this works, I'll be okay in the world. I call that the big lie because it's, it's not that there's nothing wrong with understanding how things work. In fact, that's a powerful skill, but the lie is that that is all I need. And that that alone is the path because it's not the path. I need to come into balance. And just like for you, you know, there's nothing wrong with accomplishing things. Right. Accomplishing things is a powerful skill to have. But if you think that that is everything, then that becomes sort of the quote, big lie for you. And so what I've had to learn is that that's only part of a healthy, balanced approach to living. And right. I've, I've had to purposely um, seek out sort of the balancing parts of it, the other, the other side, if you will. So we've talked a lot here about this challenge of vanity, and uh, I'm always happy to move out of this section of the show <laughs> so we can admitting how self-centered and whatnot we were. But also, it's always time to move out of the problem when we're done with that. You know, it's okay to complain, but not to stay complaining, right? right? We have to be able to tell our story, but then we have to move out of it into the solution. So what is the solution? Well, in unity, we affirm that all of life is governed by spiritual principles. And so the spiritual principle that we found helpful in moving out of that vanity and that self-obsession and into integrity is what we are calling today the path of humility. And humility is absolutely central to spiritual growth. But what does it look like on our recovery journey? What does humility mean to us as we walk a sober path, what does humility mean to you on your sober path? You know, I saw a Facebook meme the other day that said, you will never look into the eyes of someone that God does not love. And that might seem obvious, <laughs> but I remember when I was taught that in recovery that, you know, so there's this 
first this idea that there was this power that we call God that loved me unconditionally. That was a revelation because I was like, oh, my gosh, I needed that. I needed that unconditional love so much. But then later on, I was told that that power loved everybody else just as much as it loved me. And that that Enneagram three, that um, only child in me wanted God to love me more than God loved you. you (laughs) It's that need to be special. You know, I need to be special, which I think is my four wing that need to be unique and special. Yeah. Yeah. That's not pretty either. But, um, but that, so this idea that God adores me unconditionally, but also adores you just as much. It seems really sort of obvious, but there's a deeper level on which we can begin to get that. That's actually quite profound. And it basically comes down to, it's, it's a hard, it's one of those spiritual paradoxes. Yes, I am uniquely and fearfully and powerfully and wonderfully made and I'm just one of the bunch. And so is everybody else. And so is everybody else. (laughs) And, you know, in the program, I was taught to to strive to be just a drunk among drunks, as we say, or, you know, an an AA member or a 12-step member among members. You know, that I didn't have to come into AA and become this, like, you know, become Miss Queen of AA or whatever. I could just be, a well, that was, to this Enneagram 3, that was a revelation. Like, you mean I don't have to bring that ambition and drive to always be the best of everything into the 12-step program? (laughs) Because that's what I wanted to do, right? And you see people that do that, you know, that sort of become, it sort of becomes like a popularity contest. And um, so that was a real revelation to me that that needn't not be my goal, that I just needed to show up and be one of the bunch. And again, there's a surface level on which you can understand that. And there is a much deeper, profound, very spiritual level on which to understand that. And I'm still striving to really grasp that because I do have that need to be special. The good news for me is it's just so much easier. Yeah. When when I figured out or learned how to do that, mostly from the example of others, I realized this is so much easier yes. than the way I was doing it. Yes. I like this way. It's just, it takes so much less energy. So I'm thinking about what does humility mean to me? And I'm going to start with what the opposite of that is. Because, I mean, I could have shared when we were talking about what does vanity or lack of humility look like. Well, it looks like arrogance, right? And to me, arrogance is the idea that any skill I have or resources I have or social position or whatever makes me better than other people, right? right? That's arrogance. And humility is the exact opposite of that. Mm -hmm. Humility means that my skills my possessions, my accomplishments, you know, my titles or positions in the world do not make me more important or any better than any other people. Because as you were just sharing, I am unique, but I'm not special. We're all unique, but nobody's special. Everyone's unique. Nobody is special. No one is better than anybody else. And that's hard, especially in Western society. Um, it seems like it seems that uh, our our collective uh, way of being is geared towards, you know, competing and doing yes, better absolutely. than others. And 
I came in first and you came in second, so I'm better. And that that just gets spread into every, absolutely every aspect of life. And just I love what you said that you can never look into the eyes of a person that God does not love yes. and love exactly the same as me and you. Mm-hmm. That is a was a and maybe still is at times a difficult path to walk. Yes. You know, that's a different it's difficult to stay in integrity around that. So I'm I try constantly to be aware and wary of, you know, am I falling into thinking that I'm somehow better than somebody because of anything? Because yeah. of something I have or something I've accomplished or whatever, you know, some way that I look or, or don't look. And so humility means knowing that I am exactly as uh, important, exactly as valuable as anyone else ever is and was. And I'm, I'm no better and no worse. That's important. I'm no better and I'm no worse than anybody else. Yeah, exactly. Um, I like how you said that that way of being in the world is so much easier. And I totally agree with you. It's easier. But when I first started engaging that way of seeing things, it felt really wrong because I really got this strong messaging as a child that I needed to strive. I needed to always try to be the best. That's how I was going to distinguish myself. And that's what was going to give me value as a person was to have the best grades and win the spelling bee and, you know, whatever, all these silly things. But I, that was the messaging I was giving. And God bless my parents. They were doing the best that they could. But yes. um, I realize now as a parent myself that, you know, they were just trying to help me learn to be a person that strived to be the best and strived to, you know, excel. But the way that maybe because of my particular personality makeup, you know, the way that I understood that was that that was what gave me value and meaning. And so God, in God's infinite wisdom, gave me a amazing child. Uh, most of you have heard me talk about my son, Alexander, who's developmentally disabled. God gave me this child who was not going to excel in any of the conventional ways. My son is an amazing, beautiful, talented child, but he is, he's not, you know, what we would call conventionally intelligent. He doesn't read or write. He's not going to be on the honor roll. So it's like all those types of things, because sometimes parents try to get that validation through their children, right? Or if, if, if we were raised that way, sometimes we even not meaning to go ahead and, you know, project that right onto our children and want them to excel too. But I was given this child that no matter what I did was not going to excel in those ways. And it was such a huge, um, has been such a huge learning experience for me, just completely removed that as a possibility. Here was a child that, like I say, was not going to do any of those things that I had done that had given me my meaning. And so it forced me to completely reassess what all of that meant because I knew that my child was amazing and beautiful and wonderful and I knew that his life had deep purpose and meaning and yet he wasn't going to have those conventional accolades so I had to completely reconfigure my thinking about what it meant to be a person on this planet I don't know if that does that make any sense oh yeah makes a lot of sense yeah it was so profound to me and continues to be profound you know, I'm 
I'm thinking about, uh, so you, as we've said before, we're kind of team Jesus here, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm thinking about, um, the, when I read the gospels and even to, uh, a decent degree when I read the Apostle Paul, or at least some of what the Apostle Paul wrote. And he did have, write a lot, and it's not all um, necessarily, you know, he, he didn't set out to write a coherent work, right? We just put it, everything together that we could put our hands on and right. said, here's what Paul wrote. He'd probably be aghast, like he'd want to edit it, take some things <laughs> out, you know, if he's like any other person. But anyway, what I see that they both have in common, Jesus has 100% this, Paul has it to a uh, high, I would say, is what I call radical equality, mm-hmm. radical equality. Jesus' ministry was not among the well-to-do. Mm-hmm. It was among what the powers that be would consider to be the bottom of society, or what uh, theologian J.D. Crossan called the nuisances and nobodies. Jesus' ministry was to what (laughs) the society at that time considered to be nuisances and nobodies, people who did not matter. They weren't probably even, you know, seen as, as human. And Jesus' message just by his very conduct, not even the words, but by his very conduct was screaming the opposite. These people not only are just as valuable as anyone, these are going to inherit the kingdom of God because they are not all bound up in that arrogant thinking that says, I'm better because I have money or I have a position or I have power or whatever. They're not burdened by that. That's why these people are going to inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I believe and know that everyone can but we all have some unlearning, some unwinding right. to do, if you will. And um, so when I think, what does humility mean? I look at, at Jesus. I mean, literally in the narrative, literally the Son of God does not ever go around that I've seen saying, check it out. Look how I'm great it. I am. I mean, you know, <laughs> hey, you, can, you know, you guys can try, but believe me, you'll never yeah. be this great. <laughs> I mean, there is absolutely none of that anywhere. That is just such a powerful, not just statement, but embodying humility. That it just blows me away. Gosh, I got goosebumps when you said that. That's something sometimes happens to me when I get these real deep truths. You know, I kind of like my body responds. Yeah, you know, we know, don't we? We just know when when something lands, when it's just the right message. At the because right time, we Jesus get that not kind only of... took those people and said, these people are important, but he said they're important yes. for me to give my deepest teachings to. And my life. Yes. I mean, yeah. it, it doesn't get any, there's no stronger statement of equality than that to me. But let's hold that thought, Team Jesus, because it's time for a short <laughs> break. And when we come back, we'll continue the conversation. So please stay with us. Experience the difference. Unity Online Radio. 
the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. Yes, welcome back. We are glad you're with us today. If you're just joining us, my name is Reverend Dan Beckett, here with our co-host, Reverend Michelle Vargas. We'll resume our discussion in a moment, but first we want to remind you that you can send us your questions and feedback anytime during the week from our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery. Message us from there and let us know what's on your mind. So prior to the break, we were discussing in the first section vanity, what we're calling vanity or self-centeredness, self-focus. And then we moved into talking about sort of the opposite of that, humility, and what humility means to us. So now let's talk about how that practice, that spiritual practice of humility, helped us to move from that, assuming that we have moved from that self-centeredness, into a life of integrity. Yeah, that's like when someone asked me, where did you grow up? And I say, that's a bold assumption. <laughs> I don't know yet because I don't I don't think I Your have. premise is flawed from the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. All right. So so my question that I jotted down is how has humility helped me move from vanity to integrity? Well, I want to say a few words about at least what integrity means for me. This is my working definition. Integrity to me means that I am the same on the outside as I am on the inside. So what you see is what is actually going on, or it's the opposite of having what we call ulterior motives, right? If I have a secret agenda when I'm in a discussion with you, I'm out of integrity. If I want to be in integrity, I should not have a secret agenda, right? I should say, Michelle, I've been thinking about this, and I'm wondering if you would like to be a part of that, or would you be willing to, you know, just be honest about what's going on and not not have ulterior motives. So that's been sort of a guiding principle for me when I can ask myself, am I, am I showing up on the outside the way that I really am on the inside? And if I'm not, why not? You know, what, what is it? Is there something I don't want people to see or to know? You know, it's just a helpful guide. So humility has helped me move out of, you know, vanity, self-centeredness, thinking uh, constantly sort of jammed up in my head all about me um, to being much more in balance. And, mm-hmm. you know, like you said before, I think um, service to others is an important part of what we do in recovery. That's a way that we can sort of get out of ourselves. Or uh, I have been asked the question many times and found it very profound and annoying at the same time is if I'm feeling really down my sponsor will say, what have you done for other people lately? <laughs> and I'm like, damn it, don't ask me that because the answer is nothing. Because <laughs> when, I, when I do things for other people for no personal gain, yeah. I'm not depressed. I yeah. can't be. I got to get out of myself and show up in a helpful way in the world. Um, yeah. Anyway, so that's what comes to mind when I think about... Uh, getting out of sort of self-focus or vanity and moving into a balanced state through, you know, we're calling it the power or the path of, or whatever, the principle, if you will, of humility, which I do believe is a core spiritual principle. 
all of a sudden I had this memory. I think I've mentioned before that early in my sobriety, I had a commute to work like an hour, both directions. And I used to listen to these, <laughs> this is dating myself, but cassette tapes of these yeah. circuit speakers in AA, you know, some of them are really well known. And I can't remember the guy's, oh, I can't remember his name seems like the last name is Redmond, which of course we shouldn't be using last names, but he was somebody R and he was in the Hollywood, you know, industry. And he would tell these stories about humility that were just so great, you know, about like being of service. And, you know, he literally was a big shot and yet in AA or whatever program he was learning to just be, you know, just be of service. And it, it's such 12-step program can be such a great equalizer. It's like you could have somebody in there, and this probably happens more maybe in the, you know, places like LA, where you get somebody that's like an actor or a CEO of a big corporation or something, but at that meeting, they're just coffee guy, you know? Right. <laughs> they're just making the coffee, and, and that's, it's probably um, a wonderful experience and a huge relief for them to be able to just be that person. So absolutely, um, service is so helpful with that. You know, I was thinking about my role as a minister and how challenging it is for me to live in that integrity, um, that alignment that you spoke of where my insides match my outsides or what I say I believe in matches what I actually do, right? And so because there's a lot of opportunity in ministry to be a big shot, right? You know, you're up there speaking in front of people, whatever, you got this fancy title of reverend it could be compelling and so it's that constant reminder to myself it's mostly for me it's when I'm concerned like did they like my sermon did they like what I said do they love me you know I'm like Sally Field up there they love me they really <laughs> love me you know and I have to sometimes come down and remind myself it's not my job for them to love me it's not my job to be a big shot or to be whatever. It's my job to show up and be of some sort of service to God. That's, that's what the calling is, you know? And so it's just, it's just something to keep in balance and keep reminding myself because I have that Enneagram three that wants to be the performer, wants to be loved. And, um, it, it feels like a relief when I remind myself, that's not what God called me to this for. It was not for my name to be up on the marquee. You know, I was called to this to be of service. And all I have to do is show up and do what I'm called to do and, and do my best. And that's enough. And so for this performer oriented person here, that's a challenge and it's such a huge relief. So that's what being of service is, is just showing up and doing what I've been asked to do and not having to be a big shot about it. And it's so much easier, isn't it? Yeah. Do you, do you find that to be true yes. when you can oh, find such your groove? Yeah. Such a relief. Yeah. You know, that's why our, our show today is titled Snares Along the Path. And we haven't focused on that phrase, but you just called out one of the biggest ones in ministry. And and why does it seem sometimes like some of the most influential, powerful spiritual healers are also have this real dark <laughs> side? I mean, what is going on with that? And and one of the major traps in ministry is that um, you start believing that you start putting yourself on the pedestal that other people want to put you on. Yeah. Right. And yeah. our job is, in my view, is to keep continually climbing off of that pedestal yes. every way possible because yeah. it's not true. Yeah. 
No. It's not true that I belong on a pedestal just because, I mean, I am the one up in the front talking and yeah, I've answered my, my call to ministry. But like you said, my call is not to go out and, and be better than anybody else. It's to share my experience and to, you know, be a guide in some way so that other people can find their way. You know, that's what it's about. It's not about me. Yeah. And, but it's really easy. That is a big trap. And one of my early uh, spiritual teachers uh, pointed out that um, the phrase that was used is the further you go on your spiritual growth path, the narrower the path becomes, yeah. which I didn't understand at first, but now I understand it very, very well to mean that it's almost like um, the tolerance for stepping out of integrity yes. goes down. Yeah. And if I step out of integrity, the repercussions are swift and severe <laughs> yeah. as they should be because I know better. So that idea that the path gets narrower for any of us, I'm not just talking about clergy, but by any of us on a spiritual growth path, certainly on a uh, addiction recovery path, the path gets narrower because less and less bad behavior is tolerated Yeah, seemingly. And I don't mean, you know, by the universe, there's, I don't, I don't see uh, an old man with a beard sitting on a cloud, you know, doing things. This is just a natural um, part of our progression. Yeah, is that so? Yeah, there are lots of traps along the way, and that's that's really one of them. You know, I I had uh, jotted down another way that humility has helped me is that it helped me to realize that I need to focus inward on the what the real source of the problem is, because the real source of the problem is always my perception. Yeah. Right, and so. Yes. It's ironic to say, well, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm having a problem being self-centered. What should I do? I should look in the mirror. Wait, isn't that the problem? No, I, I should, I should look and recognize that the source of the problem is within me, and so that's where I have to address it. That it, you know, superficially that sounds like, well, I'm just saying it's all about me again. No, but my my misperceptions are my own. You know, I have to own them. And if I want to come into balance, then I need to be willing to look at them and recognize them and sort of drag them out into the light, you know, as we say, um, so that there's an opportunity for them to be healed. Yeah. So this path is about looking inward to the um, impediments, if you will. You know, where, where am I out of integrity? What is going on? What belief am I carrying that's a false belief that needs to be brought into the light so that yes. I can let it go. Well, I just have to share sort of along those lines that I showed up to my 30 year high school reunion a couple of years ago. Well, yeah, a couple few years ago as Reverend, you know, Michelle Jalinch at this point, um, people started like saying, oh, well, you know, I guess we better not swear around you. And, you know, I was like, they, they please, let's just say that I answered them with an expletive. <laughs> That made it very clear that that was not, you know, please don't put me, I mean, well, I, you know, we have the inside scoop. We happen to know that clergy are some of the <laughs> foulest mouthed people. Uh, <laughs> don't no, tell our secrets. No, I know. Clergy but, and sailors, right? And it's not that we should be, but it's the idea that we're not any better than anyone else. And please, oh, no. God, don't let me ever start thinking I'm any better. Um, it, it, like you said, the temptation is there for um, 
for that sort of, you know, to start thinking that I'm somehow more spiritual or, but it's actually the opposite. It's like, I believe I was called to this because I had the most work that needed to be done. I mean, I (laughs) knew, I knew when I felt that calling to ministry that I was going to get my booty busted. I just knew it. I was like, oh man. And, you know, that's what seminary was, was just a, you know, series of booty bustings for me. Um, I needed, you know, I, there was a lot of work that needed to be done before I was able to step into this um, role. And I still have a lot of work to do. So it's kind of like, it was the opposite. It was, you know, it was, it's, it's a humbling thing. Um, hard to describe, but very important. I, I like how you said that the road becomes narrower, that the, the tolerance for stepping out of integrity is, um, is much lower. Yeah. And I, I realized that as I was stepping into it too, it's like, yeah, you're really, you know, you're stepping into a whole nother level of, you can't, not that I don't still sometimes like, I can't walk out of giving a sermon on, you know, being loving and kind. And then I'm swearing at the driver in front of me, like two blocks down the road. You know? I mean, I'm human. So I do that. I mean, inside my car, not to them, but you know, I do that. But, but now my tolerance for that kind of hypocrisy in myself is, is always going down. It's like, I can't tolerate that hypocrisy in myself anymore, you know? And so I love how you said, you know, it's a, well, I think kind of what you said is it's, it's about bringing all areas of our lives into alignment. Um, in this role, I can't tolerate myself being that way anymore of like, you know, going and saying one thing and doing another. And so um, the road does become narrower, but that's good. That's, that's what we stepped into and that's what I want you know Jesus as always is such our great example for for this and um, I love some of the things that Jesus says in the gospels that um, really drive home this idea of humility Um, they seem to be paradoxes or oxymorons sort of but they have deep spiritual meaning like when Jesus says that the first shall be last and the last shall be first I believe that that's sort of what he's talking about, you know, and um, that the rich, you know, will never enter the kingdom of God. And it's, it's all about, and then when you, we just did a series on the Beatitudes and when you break down the Beatitudes, they're kind of all about humility, you know, the uh, poor of spirit or meekness is not about being a pushover. It's about being being spiritual, not being arrogant. Not being arrogant. It's about humility, right. that beginner's mind, that, oh, you know, I don't know it all. What a concept. I don't need to know it all. Um, I can just be in the, in the, you know, like we say in the program, doing the do. I just have to be doing the do, just showing up and doing the, doing the work. And that's all I need to do. Yeah. One foot in front of the other. Yeah. You know, there's this great book by uh, a woman named Terry Cole Whitaker. Terry Cole Whitaker called uh, What You Think of Me is None of My Business. And there was a time when I heard that phrase and I was like, that was like a a total revelation. You know, like bright light went on and some angels say, I'm like, oh my gosh, I've never, ever, ever heard anyone say anything like that. And I knew that it was true. And I also knew that it wasn't true for me Yeah. at that time. But what I've noticed along the way 
is that that's one of the gifts of any spiritual growth path is that uh, for me that is becoming more and more true the longer i stay on this path you know i can't i can't claim it entirely but man i have found myself in that place and like you were just sharing a few minutes ago your role as minister is not to make everyone happy mm-hmm. you know it's not to be perfect or, or or wonderful at all, right? Your job is to show up as the spirit leads you. It's to be it's to be honest and to be in integrity and to yeah. be authentic yeah. is to me the highest calling that we have. And so when I do that, it helps me to not be worrying about what other people are thinking of me because mm-hmm. literally what other people think of me is none of my business. And really it has nothing to do with me. And I know that's true because everything I think about other people has nothing to do with them. You know, I might I might have thought that it does, you know, which is another um, kind of mental deception. But walking this uh, recovery path, I realize it's it's not. You know, what's the the old saying? Uh, we don't see the world as it is; we see the world as we are. Yeah, it's the same thing. Yeah. If I'm seeing it in you, it's because it's in me. Yes. Yeah, that's one of those kind of harsh truths. <laughs> you I know, know, it's I so funny. I know. <laughs> the inconvenient truths, right? Um, when you said that, that that idea of when someone, when you f- first heard that, what you think of me, what other people think of me is none of my business. I had a very similar reaction. I was like, What? It made no sense to me. It was like so far from my understanding of things, um, which just sort of busted me open that I had always been terribly concerned about what other people thought of me. Wasn't I supposed to be? Wasn't that the whole purpose of life was to worry about what others thought of me and, you know, making sure that I, yeah, it just, wow, it really blew that whole thing open to me. There was that sense, like you said, that it was a deep truth, but it was it was pretty far out from my current experience. And it still sometimes really is. I can yeah, still care too. way too much about what other people think of me, way too much. Um, so, you know, I have, I'm only 50. I got plenty more years on this planet, and I'm pretty sure that that's one of the things I'll be working on. Yeah. It's something to aspire to, to not not be so beholden to that because um, it's an impediment, number one, to happiness. And it's an impediment to doing my job the way I'm being called to do it. You know, if I'm making ministry choices based on wanting people to like me versus doing what I need to be doing, you know. And so it's just, it's my growing edge. It's a place that I know that I needed to, con- I need to continue to work. So you said something about the, you know, the problem is always in my perception. The problem is always in my error thought, as we call it in unity. And so what needs correcting is my error thought. And, you know, I've had to go really deep with some of this stuff about why I care so much what other people think of me. And so um, what I've learned is that I have to really get in there deep and start um, validating myself, start loving that inner child and telling that little girl in me that, you know, that I am here now and I love her and I approve of her. I validate her, um, you know, and, and start making myself feel okay at a really deep level from the inside out. That's really the solution to, um, not needing that it's, it's really deep work, you know, and, 
and this is just, it just keeps getting deeper the farther I go. But the, the beginning, the thing that cracked that all open was, like I say, hearing that like you did, you know, that what other people think of me is none of my business. Cause that was like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like what other people think of me is everything. Yeah. Actually, not only is it not everything, it's none of my business. It doesn't even belong in my head. You know, so um, I'm thinking about how, again, how this path of humility and, and, and <laughs> you know, addiction recovery has been very uh, humility opportunity creating. <laughs> my goodness, it, you know, I could, I could go on for a long time about yeah. that. But, uh, okay, so what I have had to learn and what I have learned, and again, like you were just saying, it's, it's not always true, but this is where I come back to, you know, this is growing edge. Like, for me, it's okay not to know how something works, which for an Enneagram 5 is like a heresy, right? <laughs> because Enneagram 5 is all about understanding how things work. Right. So for me to say, you know what, it's okay if I don't understand how something works, that's a big deal. Or it's okay for me to take action before I've determined all the likely outcomes. You know, that's a thing I would never do. Mm -hmm. That's another Enneagram 5 heresy is you do not take action until you know what you're doing, Yeah. right? You have to know because it has to be safe. So what I'm thinking with all of this is that life just feels so much more manageable. Yeah. When I live this way, it's it really feels like a huge weight mm -hmm. has been lifted. We've said a couple of times and laughed. It is so much easier yeah. to live this way. I can't believe the energy that used to go into it. And so when I I'm going to share uh, a quote uh, from the Gospel of Matthew here. So when I heard this, it really blew my mind because I've just made such a strong connection. So when I think that my life is so much more manageable, it's like a huge weight is lifted. And then I read, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Yeah, I'm like, heck yeah, that is exactly what it. I want. Oh man. All right. So we've had a whole lot to say about this. So let's step way back if we can and see if we can find a concise way to sum all this up. So this is where we put Reverend Michelle on the spot. If someone came up to you, that's not true. We have notes. If someone came up to you and said, I've heard that I have to focus on myself in order to recover, but how can I do that and not be self-centered or selfish? Seems like I'm being told both things. Yeah, well, it's a sort of a little bit of a paradox, like so many things are. But, you know, obviously, we say this is a, a self-centered program, meaning that, you know, we are where the change needs to happen. We're not trying to change stuff out there. We're trying to change stuff in here from the inside out. And so in that sense, it is self-focused, you know. Whenever something is going on out there, I need to look inside myself. What is happening in me that is causing this reaction or causing, you know, this problem. It's always an internal deal. Um, it's an inside job, as we like to say. 
And so the work is always done on the inside. However, ultimately, we don't want to live in that place all the time. We want to be more outer focused, right? We want to be, but the healing has to happen internally before we can do that. And and so it's both and, you know, we need to give ourselves the time and space to do our recovery work and we need to not stay there forever. We need to get out and be in service to others, which ultimately yeah. heals us as well. Right. It, it's that balance because it is, it is a, um, you know, kind of a quandary or a, or a seeming contradiction. The yeah. best way I've heard it said is that nobody can do my inner work for me, but I cannot do it alone. Yeah. So it's both. I need to do my inner work, which, yes, is all about me, and I need to do it in community with others and be in service yeah. to the world around me, which is not all about me. Or uh, just the image of we inhale and we exhale, right? We have to do both. Mm -hmm. You can't just do one or the other. Mm -hmm. So it's about balance and uh, living in service to others in addition to doing our inner work. So, yeah, it does seem like a contradiction, but um, it works out when we recognize it as a balance. Inhale, exhale. Well, and the great thing is that we realize that by doing our inner work and showing up and sharing that we are helping others. So they, they happen simultaneously. Yep. So as always, we like to give you an affirmation. And our affirmation today is this. I clean house, trust God, and serve others. And that is enough. Yeah, that, that's a powerful statement. I clean house, trust God, and serve others, and that is enough. Well, it's happened again. You've given yourself the gift of another hour listening to Spirit of Recovery, and we are grateful, especially if you think of it that way. Yeah, I like to say, if you made it to this part in the show, then you probably haven't given up on us yet, and we're, <laughs> we're glad you're still with us. But we really hope that you found something in all of our gabbing that will be helpful to you in your own recovery. That's why we do this, sort of dump all this out, hoping that there's something that you will find helpful. Thank you, Michelle, again for our discussion. And thanks to all who are listening to the podcast via Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. We bless you all wherever you may be on your own recovery journey. And listeners, if you'd like, you can always connect with us throughout the week on our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery. Go ahead and drop us your thoughts and comments and feedback. We'd love to hear from you. And so we invite you to join us again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central. And until then, don't drink like my co-host. And don't drink like my co-host. Instead, have yourself a wonder-filled week. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Hi, I'm Jane Asher, and I believe, and from what I've been shown, that when our loved ones die, they don't really leave. They just slip into the next room. On my podcast, I explore the bigger picture surrounding life on Earth, and what follows when we do die. I speak with authors, friends, transition specialists, and other experts about every facet of death, dying, grief, 
hospice care, cultural traditions, and also our beliefs about that final journey and what we may end up facing. Please join me on the next room on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.